stagnant water, he could dimly make out the shadowy walls of the pit he'd fallen into. And he could hear the fretful whining of what sounded like two cold, wet, and very scared little dogs. He turned toward the sound and there they were, shivering together on a narrow ledge. A pair of German shepherd puppies. They were part of the game. Just then, the steady dripping sound that had been nagging away at the back of Murphy's consciousness since he landed in the pit started to get louder. He turned in the direction of the noise, and suddenly it became a roaring, as a huge wave of water surged through a narrow gap in the rocks. He scooped up the puppies and stuffed them under his jacket. Don't worry, fellas, I'll get you out of here, he assured them with more confidence than he felt. Then the torrent lifted him off his feet, and the panicking dog squirmed out of his jacket. Fighting to keep his head above the surface, he grabbed for them, but his fingers closed on icy water, and then he too was engulfed, spinning out of control like a bunch of wet clothes in a laundromat washer. He closed his eyes, and even as his lungs started hungrily demanding air, he tried to find a calm place in his mind where he could think. The only shred of hope he could cling to was the fact that this was a game, and a game, however deadly, still had rules. But there was no way he could figure them out while his lungs were screaming and his thought processes were beginning to go fuzzy due to lack of oxygen. Get some air, then go after those puppies. If he was still alive after that, maybe God would give him some inspiration. When Murphy walked into the lab, he was greeted by the sight of a young woman bent over a workbench, her jet-black hair tied back in a ponytail, making a stark contrast with her crisp white lab coat as she scrutinized a sheet of parchment. She didn't look up as the door clicked shut behind him, and he stood for a moment, smiling at the expression of fierce concentration on her face. What are you grinning at, Professor? she asked, her eyes never leaving the parchment. Nothing, Sherry, nothing at all. It's just nice to see someone so absorbed in their work is all. She gave a short humph, still not looking up, and Murphy's smile broadened. Sherry Nelson was one of the top students in his biblical archaeology class at Preston University, and for almost two years she had been his part-time research assistant. In that time he'd come to appreciate her passion for the subject, her limitless capacity for hard work, and her sharp intelligence. But most of all, he valued her warm and generous spirit. So what's up, Sherry? Did the results from the carbon dating tests on our little pottery fragment come in? Not yet, Sherry replied, finally looking at him. But something has definitely arrived for you. She gestured toward a large white envelope with a purple and orange lettering of Federal Express. Sherry watched eagerly as Murphy picked up the package. Clearly, she'd had a hard time containing her curiosity while she waited for Murphy to arrive at the lab. Strange, he mused. No return address, just Babylon. Doesn't look like it went through the usual FedEx mailing process. He heard Sherry gasp. Babylon, she knew all too well, could only mean one thing, a whole heap of trouble. Murphy carefully opened the envelope and shook the contents, a smaller envelope with the words Professor Murphy printed in heavy marker and a Xeroxed page from a map out onto the workbench. He glanced at the map, then opened the second envelope. Inside was an index card with three words typed on it. 
Shemar, Zepheth, Kofer. He handed it to Sherry while he examined the map. A route had been marked in pink felt tip from Raleigh, moving west, across the border into Tennessee. Where the snaking line stopped, there were an X and four barely legible words written in a spidery scroll. Cave of the Waters. Mean anything to you, Sherry? It sounds like somewhere you definitely don't want to go, she replied firmly. He winced. Exactly what Laura would have said. Same tone of voice, even. It's coming back to me, he said. I've heard of this place. It's in the Great Smoky Mountains, past Asheville, somewhere between Waynesville and Bryson City. But what about the message on the card? What do you make of it, Sherry? She repeated the words. Shemar, Zepheth, Kofer. It's Hebrew. No problem there. But beyond that, it's got me stumped. Does it have something to do with Babylon? It wouldn't surprise me, he said, stroking his chin thoughtfully. But right now, it doesn't mean any more to me than it does to you. And there's no signature anywhere and no return address. So how can we find out who sent this? Murphy gave a half-smile. Come on, Sherry. A mysterious message in an ancient language? A set of directions to a remote spot? Babylon? He didn't really need to sign it, did he? Sherry sighed. I guess not. I was just hoping, you know, that it might be something else. Something innocent. Not one of these crazy games where you... She could tell Murphy wasn't listening anymore. He was studying the map intently, already halfway there. Her heart sank as she realized there was nothing she could do to stop him. All she could do now was pray. It had been a beautiful drive from Winston-Salem past Lake Hickory. He'd left before sunup and covered the 280 miles in good time. When he arrived at the cave entrance, he felt his scalp begin to prickle as the reality of the situation struck him. He was alone, unarmed, miles from the nearest habitation, at the invitation of a madman who had tried to kill him on several previous occasions and who was probably watching him from some hideaway on the mountain at this very moment. He could almost feel the crosshairs moving over his heart. When you put it like that, it didn't sound good. But he'd come too far now to think of turning back, and he trusted in God that he was doing the right thing. After all, this might be a game, but the stakes were high. For a biblical archaeologist such as himself, they couldn't be any higher. He pulled his flashlight out of his backpack, switched it on, and moved forward. Although the cave entrance was relatively wide, it quickly narrowed, and Murphy soon had to crawl on his hands and knees over the floor of loose stones and grit. He could feel the humidity increasing as the temperature in the cave plummeted. Drops of water from stalactites on the ceiling started falling onto the back of his head and over his face, and he wiped them away with his sleeve. He tried to remember why he was here. Methuselah had planned it all, and that meant there was some artifact of great value for an archaeologist, but especially a biblical archaeologist, waiting for him at the end of his journey. But Methuselah wouldn't be content to see him rack up a few scrapes and bruises in search of his prize. For his own insane reasons, Methuselah required Murphy to risk his life. That was how you played the game. And the game could begin at any moment. 
Taking a deep, calming breath, he continued crawling forward. Soon, the cave walls started to get higher, and the floor flattened and broadened out. After a few minutes, he could walk easily without ducking his head, and then a sudden turn brought him to a large chamber. Playing his flashlight over the walls, he looked for some sign that someone had been here before him. Something out of place, anything that didn't look natural. But all he could see was water glistening on sheer black walls and a cluster of stalactites hugging the roof over his head. No booby traps that I can see, he muttered to himself. Nothing here that God didn't create unless I'm much mistaken. So why was his scalp beginning to itch? Why was his subconscious mind telling him something wasn't right? Then it hit him. It wasn't what he could see. It was what he could hear. Just on the very edge of audibility. A muffled keening, almost a whining sound. Like an animal, maybe more than one animal, in distress. But how could that be? No animal could survive down here. Except possibly bats. And this was too deep even for them, surely. He moved slowly toward the sound, hefting his flashlight like a weapon, every sense alert for danger. And that was when his feet first touched the wooden planks. His lungs full of air, Murphy had difficulty pushing himself down into the icy depths of the flooded pit, but after a few powerful strokes he managed to grab onto a rock projecting off the bottom and took a moment to get his bearings. He could feel the rush of water at his back as it continued to power its way into the cave. He figured that must be where the light was coming from that turned what would have been pitch black into a ghostly greenish gloom. And the puppies must have been...